When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome to Jumping Bomb Audio. And welcome back to Jumping Bomb Audio, a podcast all about Joshi Pro Wrestling. I'm Aaron Bentley. I'm joined by my co-host, Taylor Mainberg. How are you, Taylor? I'm good. Glad to be here again to talk some exciting Joshi. That's right. It's a... I was going to say it's a big show. I don't know how big of a show it is. Uh, but we're going to talk about stardom, of course. There was a Cork one yesterday. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about the Tag League. There's been some seedling. Choco Pro, Ice Ribbon, Diana, Tokyo Joshi. I just keep getting more excited as I go down the list. Actress Girls, Marvelous, Pure J. We're going to talk about all those. We're going to answer some listener questions. Then we're going to talk about some shows that are coming up over the next couple of weeks. So if you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Audio. And Taylor, you've really been upping uh, the Twitter game overall. I have, and you have not, I've noticed. I have I did as I did um, something like seven tweets and you did zero. I did zero. Well, no, that's not true. I asked for listener questions. You did. So. You did tweet about out about listener questions. So you did one. <laughs> okay, here's here's my thought process. I was very behind. And so I went back and I was watching the Stardom Yokohama show. And I was like, well, nobody wants to hear what I say about the Stardom Yokohama show. And then I realized you're tweeting about the Stardom Yokohama show. So and people were uh, engaging with it. So I guess they did want to hear about it. Yes, although I did say um, that I would tweet out about the Stardom uh, Tag League shows. And I did not, um, because as we'll find out in a few minutes, frankly, I didn't have that much to say. Yeah, I think that's fair. So I guess the idea is we're going to try to tweet more when we're actually watching stuff. I just like... As I was watching stuff for the show, it's like, well, I hate to just tweet out my thoughts because then I'm going to say those thoughts on the show. Um, but you I gotta, guess 
you got to learn the the art of the tease. Like I watched the Diana Ooh. show and I put in a little tease that I would talk more about my opinion on something. Oh, I saw that tweet. That was a good tweet. Okay. I'm going to work on that. I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. Um, I do more tweets over at, at Aaron, like the car, if you want to check that out. And uh, Taylor does his tweet. He doesn't do any tweets, but if he does any, they'll be at Tay Mambo. Uh, subscribe to the show, please. Give us a rating and review if you use the Apple Podcast app. Uh, tell a friend who's a Joshi fan about this podcast. And if you are feeling generous, you can head over to redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio and uh, donate. Support the show in that way. So uh, let's get into it. Not really any big news this week, I wouldn't say. So we'll just talk about some of the shows that have been going on. and. I think the most recent show to happen, is this true, is the uh, Stardom Coroquin show from October 18. And I guess we'll just talk about, we'll start with the main event, Taylor. That's the only one that's been posted on Stardom World so far. So we've both seen the match, so we can actually talk about it in detail. But uh, the World of Stardom title on the line, Mayu Iwatani retains against Takami Iroha. What were your thoughts? Well, what are your thoughts on the result and what are your thoughts on the match overall? Um, I don't know that I was too surprised by the result. I know there had been a little bit of rumbling that maybe Aroha would win it and then drop it to Utami, who is the next challenger. Uh, that didn't happen. Not totally surprising to see an outside wrestler lose, you know, beat the champion and then get a title match and lose lose the title match. Um, I thought it was an excellent match. I don't know. Thinking back to their first match in February, I think I liked that one slightly more, although I think that they were fairly close um, in terms of, of in-ring. Obviously, this one had a little bit more build to it uh, prior to the match, but I thought it was a very good match. You know, Aroha, as I've said on the show before, is super talented. It's very funny because she's the sort of person as stardom brings in all of these sort of new people, um, you know, they really haven't brought in someone like Aroha who carries herself like a star and is very good in ring. I mean, she came off to me in this match like a star, very tough, uh, you know, really pushed Mayu to her limit. Um, and I thought it was a really good match. I went uh, about four and a quarter I was thinking about four and a half, but then at the end I settled on four and a quarter. And I think their first match in February, I went four and a half. So again, very close, a very good match. Um, and really, I think for me, Mayu's best title defense in quite a while, maybe even since that February match. That's interesting. I Actually, I liked the first match a lot better than this match. Um, all right, well, it's... I guess I'll start with talking about the match. Then we'll talk about the result and we can go from there into some bigger stardom thoughts perhaps, but the match itself, and I still liked it quite a bit. I probably had about uh, four stars on the match, but it was just kind of a weird match because the story seemed to be that Iroha was throwing these huge bombs at Mayu and Mayu basically no sold all of them. I mean, they had that like legwork at the beginning that, that really, uh, Mayu was selling and it ended up, you know, kind of fading away. But 
Iroha was basically beating the shit out of Mayu, and Mayu would kind of shrug it off and then do do her stuff. So I was kind of surprised at the way that went. Um, it it had the air of like a an LOL Mayu wins type match where she just took everything Iroha had to offer, and it didn't matter. Uh, it became a little like I thought it became a little PWG esque down the stretch. A lot of big bombs. Uh, and uh, literally, there were like several big power bombs and reversals going down uh, the, the final stretch. And ultimately, Mayu reversed a power bomb into like a, a leg scissor takeover and won. Uh, so it was very fast, a lot of fun. I'm just not sure it was quite as good as the first match they had. I think I went into the match knowing the result because mm. I had accidentally been spoiled. Um, when I went on Twitter very briefly. Um, and so I think I was sort of watching the match knowing that Aroha was going to lose and sort of seeing the sort of one-sidedness of the offense with Aroha getting so much offense as them, as sort of the booking saying, okay, well, this is Marvelous's big ace and she's going to lose, but she needs to get some offense to make her at least look strong before she loses like that was sort of my understanding of it as I was watching it saying, okay, well she's going to lose, but at least she spent a lot of time, you know, where you could point to the match and say, well, I lost, but actually I was really, you know, hitting her with power bombs. I was really hitting her with strikes to at least give her an out when she loses to say, well, she lost, but she's still very good. Um, so yeah, that was sort of in that was my I don't know that's if that's what they were going for, but that was my in-head sort of canon for the match. Yeah, that's certainly a hmm a better way of looking at it like from Stardom's Stardom's perspective and from Iroha's perspective than the way I kind of took it. Uh you know, from the way I took it, I was like, "Oh, this really didn't look that great for Iroha." But on the bright side, you know, she's wrestled Mayu twice now and in singles matches. And Mayu has not been able to, like, hit her finish and beat her with it. Uh, you know, this was kind of like a a, a flash, uh, you know, not a fluke win, but, you know, just a flash pin. So Iroha does come out pretty strong because of that. Uh, but I agree with you that, yes, they've signed all these people, but Iroha is, like, obviously a big, huge star. The crowd really reacts to her, and she just has that presence that basically nobody other than Mayu has in stardom at this point. So that's why I kind of, I had talked myself into, as the match was beginning, I had talked myself into Iroha winning, Utami beating Iroha, and then you can still stretch out this Utami-Mayu match that you're going to have to do eventually. But you could put it off another uh, another cycle so that you can have more big matches, right? Like once they do Utami and Mayu, there's really not another like big match to do. So they're going to have to come up with something else. <laughs> well, yeah, that's very true. Although I do wonder if, cause that match is happening November 15th. And I do wonder if Utami wins at that point, and then maybe they don't have the next defense until the next month, 
And so you spend the next two months or so trying to build at least one person to be at that level to have an Utami versus someone match. That could be a big draw for the company. I would assume that's what's going to happen unless you just have Mayu win. But I don't know if Mayu wins what the path, like what's the next step there unless you just build someone up. But someone eventually you have to sort of pull the trigger and say, okay, Mayu is a star. She can draw, but we need to try someone else. You know, we need to try someone else at the top. And that was actually um, in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. There was some discussion about, you know, we hadn't seen the Yokohama show at the time we last recorded our, our previous episode. But we briefly talked about how it was a bit strange that no titles changed hands and there was some argument that well that was because the people who need the titles already have the titles and that just to sort of move the belts around doesn't serve any purpose but i think our point was that eventually you're trying you're you're trying to build stars right now and top level not just you know upper mid card nice wrestlers you're trying to build people who can be the staples of this company and to do that eventually you i think you have to take a risk on someone here and give them a big title or give them the big win over mayu and see what happens because if you don't give them the title you're never going to get there because they'll just sort of flounder in the upper you know oh they're good but they don't have a title sort of area of the company. I mean, that's what they did with Arisa. What was that? A year and a half ago or however long ago that was where she sort of came out of nowhere, you know, won the Cinderella tournament, got the title. And that was sort of taking the chance on, well, let's hope this work and this works. And for the most part, it did work. But the, but the big thing was she got the wins and then she got the title. So that's sort of a whole thing. So I think, when we were talking about, well, no titles changed, it wasn't like we just wanted titles to change to make things more interesting. We, I think, were thinking about, we want titles to change because that's a sign that whoever wins the title is going to get the opportunity to prove themselves at the top of the company. Yes, absolutely. They have to break some people out of this mid-card morass and try to find who their stars are going to be. Um so I, I look at it this way. Mayu, you know, if you think of it as like the S tier, A tier, B tier type uh, dichotomy or scenario, Mayu is the S tier and the only S tier in the company. Would you agree with that? Yes. And then I think Julia is probably A tier. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And I'm not sure if Utami is A, but she's to me the only one who's close. Um, and the, the point I'm making here is in line with what you're just talking about. To me, Utami has to beat Mayu. You can't do it any other way. But, and I, and frankly, frankly, I don't think Utami is a star. I don't think, I think we've, at this point, she's been around long enough that we know she's a, uh, elite level worker, but I don't think she has the personality, the charisma to be a Mayu-level star, a Kagetsu-level star. Um, but 
you don't know until you put the belt on her how the crowds are going to react to her as a main event draw. So to me, you have to have her win that match. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I think it's sort of, you know, to, to make a bad analogy right now, it's sort of like if you're a baseball player, you're up at bat. If you just stand in the box and you don't swing, you might get a walk. You know, you might end up getting, I don't know, hit by a pitch. You get on first base. But essentially, you haven't done all that much. You have to essentially, eventually, swing the bat and try and hit a home run because that's how, or hit something because that's how you score runs. And if you just stand there waiting, you know, I don't think it's going to be a scenario where someone in the mid card somehow you know, without a title or anything like that, just catches fire and goes up the card and is a huge star that never has held a title in this company. I mean, I think the biggest stars, you look in the history of this company, the people who have been the biggest stars have held titles. And, you know, it's it's not a strange thing to say in wrestling, but I think especially in stardom, it is a sign that you are at the top of the company and that's often the people who the crowd reacts to most. So I think you have to, yeah, I think Utami should win that match because you have to take a chance eventually with someone, but also to try and get someone out of this mid card. Cause that would help everyone. If Utami moves up and becomes a star, that's one less person sort of stuck in this clump in the mid card. That's all fighting for position and wins and sort of airtime and a push. Whereas you get one less person who's sort of in that mix, you maybe have a little bit more space for someone else to get a little bit more momentum behind them. Because otherwise these people become Jungle Kiona, right? Where it's like, yeah, we might like them and maybe the fans like them, but they never win the big match. Uh, the the one I'm thinking about now, and I, I'm honestly surprised that, she has reached this level at this point, but it's Tom Nakano. It's like Tom never seemed like she was really able to be on that top level. But I got to say that in the five star, she was, if not the best, one of like the two best workers in the whole tournament. And it seems like she's somebody who could help kind of bridge this gap because they have this real problem where that we've talked about, of course, where they've got to get to. Before your Azubis and your Tall Sayas and Himika, before those people are stars, they have to bridge the gap to them. And to me, Tom is like a perfect example of someone who obviously has the look and the charisma that that stardom uh, is interested in, but has really upped her level of work, I think, recently. So, you know, uh, I, I know that Julia is like, their next star after Mayu. Uh, but Tom is certainly somebody that I could see as a potential champion, somebody I would try out as a potential champion uh, to see if it works because they're going to have to make somebody uh, or these Corquin crowds are going to keep getting worse and worse. Well, yeah, I've always thought Tom has been very good, but she's never really gotten any sort of it's sort of been like, oh, you're a good mid-carder, and that's sort of what you are now. And you're useful where you can go and, you know, have a series with Julia, and then you'll just sort of float down the card. But I do think you're right 
about the fact that we often talk about, well, some of these people, they have to move up and become stars. But some of these people, like to me, Tal Saya, is very good. But I don't think tomorrow you go, put, put her at the top of the card, and it's a done deal. I think this is someone, I mean, Micah is the same way. Micah, as I've said, I think she's improving a lot. But she's not someone who within the next year I would be, you know, putting at the top of the card in singles matches. So some of these people are going to, you know, be in the mid card or, or you know, upper mid card for some time. It's not going to be all of a sudden all of these seven people, you know, all turn into stars in the next week. So, I I mean, I think you're right because I think Tom has, you know, should have been pushed for a while. I mean, I think Konami, you know, moving to 08 Otai, maybe is this the – you know, moment where she gets more of a push instead of just sort of being this, you know, well-liked mid-card wrestler. I don't know, you know, I don't know what the plan is for her. I don't know if the plan involved jungle and the injury throws that off. I don't know if it didn't involve jungle at all, and maybe they're just going to go ahead. You know, where does Konami end up in Oedo Tai? Because it seems to me like Oedo Tai is run by Natsuko. And so if that is true, then there's a ceiling there where you're not going to be a bigger star than the leader of the group you're in, but maybe there's something there where Konami eventually becomes the leader. I don't know about B Priestley, what's happening there. So yeah, I think they have a lot of opportunities to do things that would help the company. The question is, and the question really always has been with this company is, will they do the thing that seemingly is sitting right there? Because as I said, Tom, I think has been ready to be moved up for a long time. And it just, for whatever reason, hasn't happened. Okay. Do you want to run down the rest of this card real quick, even though we haven't seen this yet? Sure. All right. So the show got started with, uh, Goki Jen Death, Goki Gen, I guess, Death, Rina and Hina defeating Riho, Hanan, and Starlight Kid. I'm sure that was a barn burner. Uh, Tom Nakano defeating Saida. So poor Tom, you know, it's like the second match against Saida. <laughs> and we're talking about how she's like a legit uh, champion. Um, or like legit champion material, at least in my mind. Uh, then we had Himika defeating Mina Shirakawa. I'm just like, I'm really confused with what they intend to do with Mina. She just like comes in and loses to everybody thus far. I mean, the plan is, and actually I asked the same question as I was live tweeting um, the Yokohama show. And I mean, the answer is the very obvious answer is she came in to sell, you know, the programs and the books, you know, the modeling books that they do. And, you know, I mean, it is it is good, as we've talked about, there's a lot of people who are sort of on the up and up in this company, and so you can't be beating those people over and over again, or you're going to burn them out, and they're not going to move up the card. So it's nice to have someone who can go in and lose, but if all they do is lose, then you sort of lose the value of that person being there and being able to take a loss. So, you know, I don't know. I'm... You know, these Tokyo Joshi people coming in is interesting because I don't really know. 
I'm like, is Mina going to be here for a year losing every match that she's in? And she's just like a person who hangs out and loses all their matches. And there could be more Tokyo Joshi people coming. I mean, it's not like there's an obvious space for these people who are, you know, stardom is in the Joshi landscape, if not all of the wrestling landscape, one of the top in-ring companies around. And, you know, Tokyo Joshi is a company that's much more focused on sort of character and, you know, stories and interactions like that. So you're talking about people coming into a company that emphasizes a thing that they had not, you know, emphasized previously. So where do they fit when they're already so full of people who fit the mold so well of what stardom wants? So, you know, it's a good question. Maybe she sticks around for six months. She sells some you know, modeling books and then she leaves. Well, it's like you said earlier, like until they move people up, you got too many people in this, in this big middle. So it really, it would even help out, you know, the people like uh, Shirakawa to elevate some people and create a better hierarchy within the promotion, but we'll see. Right. But if she lose, if she only loses, eventually you get to a point where beating her doesn't mean anything because she only loses. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, beating her doesn't mean anything already. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I don't, I mean, I get the sense that a lot of fans kind of stick to the promotions they like. You know, I mean, are we sure that the stardom fans knew about Mina Shirakawa before she came in? Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, next up, speaking of people who came over from Tokyo Joshi Pro, uh, was the eight-woman tag, the Dona Del Mondo team of Julia, Micah, Natsupoi, and Shuri versus the Oedo Tai team of B. Priestley, Konami, Natsuko Tora, and Saki Kashima. And this went to a 20-minute time limit draw. And this is exactly what I was just talking about. You have all these people in the mid-card, and you're like, well, they can't lose. So I think this is the... um, this is like the third time limit draw in the last four shows or something like that, or maybe the last five shows, because they had the time limit draw at the Corican last month. They had a time limit draw on the first Goddess Tag show and a time limit draw here, and it's like you have so many people and no one can lose because you put yourself into a corner of creating a mid-card that's only people you want to move up the card, and so you can't have decisions. Because if someone loses, that that would hurt them. I mean, if Donna Del Mundo is going to lose here, who on that team would lose? If Oedo Tai is going to lose, who on that team would lose? There isn't anyone. I mean, maybe Saki Kashima. But she, so she seemed to have caught fire. She faced Mayu. As we talked about, she fell off a cliff. And now all of a sudden she's sort of back to being protected again, it seems at least a little bit. So it's very, these are very weird, but I have a feeling these time limit draws are going to become more and more common as we run into the problem of people facing each other who cannot lose. Uh, Next up, or the only other match we haven't talked about yet, the only uh, tag league match on the show, the Momo Oz team of Momo Watanabe and Azumi defeated, uh, what are they called? Aphrodite. Utami Hayashishita and Saya Kamitani. I was pretty surprised by this to have Utami lose 
on the match right before she's going to come out and challenge after the main event. Yeah, I don't know how. I don't know how really into like I don't know in Japan how well you know followed or received this tag um, tournament is. I don't know. Did she get pinned? Do we know? Did Utami I, get pinned? I don't know the answer. Because I guess if Saya got pinned, then you go, oh well, she didn't take the fall, so it is what it is. But yeah. Sorry, I was trying to look it up to see if they said on the on their Twitter account um, who got pinned, and I don't see it right now. So hard to say what happened there. So uh, I think that there actually Aphrodite is now o one and one. I think because they lost this match, they had a time limit draw on the first show, and I think that's their only two matches they've had. So I guess yeah. you're setting up some natural challengers even outside of whoever would win the this tournament. Yeah, let's look at the standings of the tag league. So it's a cross block tournament. We got the blue block and the red block, but they wrestle the teams in the other block. So am I did we figure this out before the show? So the most you can get is eight points. Is that right? No, I think the most you can get is ten points because there's, oh right, right, right. Because five each teams team block. is facing the five other, the five teams in the other block. Right, got it. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so in the blue block, the standings are as follows: Momo Oz at six points, the Color Me Pop team of Goki Gen Death and Riho at four points, the Black Widows team of Konami and B Priestley with three points, the Dream Age team of Tom Nakano and Mina Shirakawa with two points, and the Grab the Top team of Shuri and Himika. At two points. In the red block, uh, many fewer points have been scored. Uh, Crazy Bloom, Julia and Micah have two points. Aphrodite, Utami and Saya, Tall Saya have one point. MK Sisters, Mayu and uh, Starlight Kid have zero points. Wing Gori, Saya Ida and Hanan, zero. Devil Duo, Natsuko Tora and Saki Kashima also have zero points. Yeah, Aaron, I meant to ask you this. This should have been the first question to lead off the show. How do you um, feel about clowns? Um, well, I mean, are we talking like Frank the Clown or John Wayne Gacy? Like, which what level clown are we talking about here? Well, I was mainly talking about Gokigan Death, the <laughs> newest character. The newest and maybe scariest character in all of Stuffdom. <laughs> yes. Okay, what's like funny about this to me is that she announced that it was just going to be like Gokigen, like this, as in like it's Gokigen. But they're like, well, actually, she also uses this for death. And so it's like, I don't know, I'm very confused by the whole thing, to be honest. <laughs> I thought she was trying to drop the death part, but they've just they've kept it right in there. I tweeted um, during the Yokohama show when, um, you know, Tokyo Cyber Squad was disbanded, I said, oh, maybe Kaori will now be free of this Death Yamasan character. And she can sort of be a, you know, just be herself because she's a super talented wrestler, but she is someone who can take losses. And, you know, Death Yamasan was fun, but it was a comedy character that in the, in the end didn't really mean 
I mean, too much, like a win against her was not a huge thing. And I said, well, maybe it will, you know, now she can be Kaori and it will be good that she can have a little bit more, you know, wrestling as yourself, a win over Kaori is a little bit more than a win over Death Yamasan. But it turns out <laughs> I was wrong. Um, and now she will be dressing like a clown um, in every match. What a, what a teammate for the always um, well-served Riho in stardom. Um, the Riho thing is so <laughs> insane to me. It's like a company that is crying out for stars. And you have Riho right here, who is like a massive star. And for whatever reason... And I guess some people suggest that she's not allowed to lose. Um, but they just don't do literally anything with her. Well, and the thing I'm most confused about is there's always this talk about stardom world. It's more subscribed by more foreigners than people who live in Japan. And you have a net, you know, let's say, okay, she can't lose. You know, she can't lose matches. Why not put the title on her and be like, hey, remember Riho and AEW fans? Remember Riho? Well, now she's the champion of our company. Come watch our shows. And guess what? She can vacate the title when she can go back to America. She doesn't have to lose. Yeah. It's like that's the obvious connection of you have someone who has made a connection in another company that's watched by a lot of people who are a big portion of the people who are watching your shows on your streaming service. Why not use her? If it were me, maybe she wouldn't be the champion, but she would be near the top of the company. And everything I did that was English focus would be, you know, Hey, rehost you. You can't see her in AEW anymore, unfortunately for the moment, but you can see her in stardom having great matches against, you know, great talent, you know, and then you could mention, you know, B Priestley was in AEW or maybe, you know, Oh, or maybe see these people and maybe one day these people might come over to AEW and maybe that would help, you know, maybe people would watch your company and see other people besides Riho and say to AEW, hey, you should bring over some of these people to wrestle for AEW. And then you've helped your company even more because they would be on a bigger platform. It just the way they're using her now is mean. She could be any wrestler on the face of the earth in this position where she just sort of hangs out and wrestles in completely meaningless matches. You could even make her a, a tag champion and that she can just, if they have to lose, like the other person can take the pin, you know, like it's, yeah, it's completely uh, stupid, meaningless. She's treated as a bigger star on Choco Pro by far than she is in stardom. She's and, and the matches she's have there have all been good and they've gotten hype for for Choco Pro. I mean, I yeah. think the two most viewed streams that they've had in their 56 shows have been the two shows with Riho on it because people go, oh, Riho, I know her from AEW. I'll watch. Uh, my friend Nate, who does the Everything Elite show with me, says he thinks Riho has just uh, told Stardom she's not allowed to lose. <laughs> she's just That's just like her own thing. Like, oh, no, no, yeah, talk to Tony. He said, uh, I just can't lose. So just want to make sure you all respect that. <laughs> which makes me laugh. Okay, well, that's stardom. Anything else you want to say about stardom? Uh, I think I think that's it. 
I was just saying, sometimes I feel like this is dangerously close to being a stardom podcast, but I guess it is the biggest uh, or the most talked about Joshi company. Uh, we also so, did last last episode go, oh, we won't talk about stardom at all. During <laughs> the segment. <laughs> well, they did this cork, you know, I don't know. Okay, well, let's move on. Seedling, October 3rd show in Yokohama. Uh, I guess the big part of this was the uh, tag title match, Best Friends versus Yoshiko and Hiroyo Matsumoto. Yeah, this was, uh, that was the big... Uh, match of the show. There was an undercard match with uh, Aja Kong and Honori Hana, um, which is the usual sort of Aja Kong beats up a, a rookie, but that's becoming another sort of undercard storyline where um, Hana and Aja Kong will now be teaming together in a tag team, um, at least for one upcoming show. But yeah, the big match was the tag title match, uh, which I watched. I thought it was. Very good. You know, I always go into these best friend, uh, best friends matches with very, very high hopes. Um, I don't know if it was as good as I thought it was going to be. I went four and a quarter. Um, still thought it was very good, especially at the end. Got very fast paced, very hard hitting. Um, exactly what you would expect from uh, these four wrestlers. So definitely worth uh, checking out, but nothing that was, you know, a match of the year that's going to end up in, you know, my top 10 list or anything like that. Yeah, I feel most of this. I'm probably a little lower than you on it, but it was just like it was too long. You know, like it, it dragged a little bit here and there. But as you said, down the stretch, this was so good. It was a lot of fun. And it was kind of fun because uh, this was a, a Nico broadcast, like seeing Arisa there kind of reacting to some of the like uh, the saves or whatever on some of the pinfalls being broken up. That was fun. So yeah, definitely worth watching. Yeah. And Choco pro has started season four. They had a long, their longest break ever between season three and four, two weeks. Uh, But season four has begun. They had two shows this weekend, 55 and 56. Uh, Chie Koshikawa, was in the main event of both shows with, with two great matches and also um, in the undercard um, during season three, uh, Chris Brooks beat uh, Lulu pencil and won her pink hat. Um, and Lulu wants to get that hat back from Chris Brooks. But in the meantime, she has begun to wear a blue hat that she doesn't like. <laughs> This is truly sort of bizarre, me describing this. Uh, but that's sort of the um, beginning of season four. They're going to have quite a few. It's going to be pretty rapid fire for season four. They have, I think, four shows coming up in the next two weeks. So a lot going on there, a lot of fun. Um, Ice Ribbon had a show yesterday or today. Um, I think it aired um, in the States early this morning. Uh, Risa Sarah defeated Uno Matsua in a submission match. Maya Yukihi came out to challenge. She will have the next uh, Fantast Ice title match. It will be a TLC match, but the in this uh, case, the T stands for Outside Interference. The L stands for Leather. And the C stands for Chains. Uh, because Maya Yukihi came out in her um, Oz Academy Sekigun 
get up as evil Maya. So she will be in that match. And of course, if you know Oz Academy, you know they use whips and chains. So that is the reason why this special TLC match is happening. Wait a second. Can you tell me how, how T stands for outside interference? Here's the thing. I can't. Um, <laughs> there was some discussion of, of whether there was possibly a, a Japanese word for outside interference that starts with a T. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure. Or it could just be a funny. Um, if someone knows, feel free to tweet at us and we'll uh, we'll retweet you. Um, but it could just be a funny word. Oh, T, of course, stands for outside interference. I mean, outside and inner interference both have T's in them. Um, I mean, they I do. That's true. But I don't think that's usually how that works. <laughs> usually, but usually TLC matches don't have leather and chains in them either. So, But maybe they should. Have you ever thought about that? I haven't. <laughs> okay. um, but... Uh, another big show that happened was the Diana Corkin show on October 11th with the Luminous defending their tag titles for the first time in the big Asuka Ayako Sato rematch. So, Aaron, I know that you watched these two uh, tag title matches. What did you think? Uh, I don't know. Let me see. Let me pull up my notes here. Um, okay, so the Luminous tag title match. I thought it was good, but it was uh, pretty long, dragged a little at times. I mean, you could definitely tell that uh, Takase and Taihoma were the, the standouts of the match. Uh, but I was just... Uh, it's like Diana for a, a long time, like as much as we really didn't get to see a lot of them last year, but like at other times, it's like very sterile or just I mean, boring is the right word, right? It's just fucking boring. Uh, and it's like, oh, this is exciting. This is like Young people, new people, and some people who are, you know, haven't been around the promotion a ton. And so it was just fun from that perspective. Yeah, I thought I went in with high expectations and they were not met. I didn't think it was a bad match, but it certainly was not the match I was hoping for, especially based off their tag title, Luminous's tag title win um, in a match that I thought was really good. Um it it didn't reach the height of that, so it was a little um, disappointing there. But I thought the main event was, I thought the main event was awesome. Um, I went four and a half stars, and I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that will appear to be a non sequitur um, to begin, and then I'll come back around and and explain. But I think Saya Kamatani should turn heel. Um, which seems like a non sequitur, but I, you know, we've talked a lot about Asuka on the show. She's had a great year. This is another great match for her in a long list of them. But I think, you know, I've talked over the many, many weeks of this show about the similarities between Asuka and Sayakamatani because they're both sort of super athletic um, wrestlers that are, you know, wrestling with people who are not that they're not athletic, but they're much less athletic than Asuka and Sayakamitani are. And I think one of the things that has allowed Asuka to grow so much has been this sort of, it's not really a heel persona per se, but it is, she sort of has this edge to her where I think 
if you're a baby face, I think the goal is you want to be, you know, you want to be valiant. You want to be, you know, you're maybe fighting from underneath. You're trying hard. And I think for someone like Asuka, who's so talented, can do so many really incredible things. I think that sometimes being a baby face for someone like that requires sort of dialing down a lot of the special abilities that you have because you don't want to appear as if you're really, you know, wailing on this person you're facing, especially if you're a baby face and they're a heel. But I think that becoming a heel for Asuka has allowed her to really just go 100% with what she can do with her athletic ability. I mean, her leg lariat in this match looked really good. You know, the slaps, the, you know, all the athletic things she does. And I think that for someone like Saya Kamatani, who feels like she's on the same path, enabling her to work and just say, go out there and do your stuff and beat the other person up would be very good. I thought that this main event, it was really hard hitting. It was a great back and forth match. Asuka looked great. I was sort of bummed that she ended up losing, although it makes sense that they, you know, got a little excitement, got a big main event for their big Cork and Hall show. Um, Cause Asuka is great. And it's, it's just so wild to me that seemingly every match I see her and she gets a little bit better every time. Okay. Well, let me, let's see, which of those things do I want to start with? I had never drawn the comparison between the two, but now that you say it, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, Sai Kamitani and Asuka, they are pretty similar. They're also like both very, um, as my buddy Mike Spears would say, extra. They both come across as like uh, doing a lot in a way that I think is entertaining and fun. Uh, so, yeah, I kind of like that. I, I do. I mean, there's something there in that like anybody who's ever become a huge star in pro wrestling uh, has has done so initially as a heel. I mean, at least in the last, I don't know, 20, 30 years or so. Like, you have to have that big uh, that big heel thing to, like... I think it's because of what you're saying. It, like, allows you to do more things and learn more for, like, your big babyface run. So I don't, I don't dislike that at all. I did not love the match as much as you did. Uh, I know why you loved it. It was real Oz Academy shit. Uh, in this match, so it like hit all the the uh, Taylor Mayberg things, uh, but it did pick up very nicely down the stretch. I guess I was kind of bummed, yeah, that that Oscar lost. Um, I, but they're doing a rematch, right? But I, I would, I just like I love seeing Oscar. So it's like if I know when I turn on Diana, I'm going to see an Oscar main event. Uh, that would have helped me turn on Diana more. Yeah, also is uh, Tokyo Joshi is running their International Princess uh, Tournament, the first round matches that happened on um, October 10th and October 17th. Uh, I watched all the tournament matches. I thought that they were all um, really fun matches. It was good seeing some people um, who don't sometimes get the opportunities for these sort of quote-unquote big singles matches to have. Um, some opportunities. It ended up um, the semifinals, which will be happening at Russell Princess in November, will be Shoko Nakajima versus Yuki Kamafuku and Hikari Noah versus Mirai Mayumi. Um, I know we got a question about this, but I guess we'll do it now. 
Um, looking at those, looking at those matches, Aaron, who do you think goes through to the finals, and then who do you think might win the whole thing? Well, it's interesting because that they're even doing this tournament, I think, is interesting. It's like, I guess maybe they just needed some things to do on shows, but you know, could we not have just waited until Thunder Rosa can come back? Uh, you know, there's not really a big international flair to the the uh, the semifinalists here to be your international champion. Um, I mean, Shoko is like the biggest star of the four. Would you agree with that? Oh, d- yes, by by far. Yeah. So I, I'm struggling. I guess what I'm struggling with is. Is that a red herring? Like, am I supposed to, they want me to think Shoko's going to win, but she's not going to. Uh, but she's definitely like, obviously she's been the champion of the promotion. So, huh. I mean, to me, it's like Shoko versus Hikari in the final. And I don't know, I'm just going to go chalk. I think Shoko's going to win. Interesting. I I was thinking a lot about how, as we've discussed, Tokyo Joshi has lost some people recently, and I think that creates an interesting scenario for people who maybe weren't getting as many opportunities just because this roster is so chock full of people that they weren't getting the opportunities, and now there's a little bit of space for people to get opportunities. I mean, there was a time a year or so ago when it felt like Tokyo Joshi was debuting a new wrestler about once a week. Um, but I guess the question is, is the point of this tournament, and I don't know the answer, I'm just sort of thinking out loud, is it to get someone who can be a draw on shows? Because then the obvious answer would be, well, Shoko's going to win because she's a proven um factor at the top of the card. Or do you maybe roll the dice and take a chance and, put the belt on someone that maybe hasn't gotten that spot before. So I'm going to say, I think it also ends up being Shoko and Hikari Noah in the finals, but I'm, I think that Hikari Noah is going to win. I think they're going to take a chance. You know, they might as well during this time and see what happens. Hikari Noah feels like someone who's been close to moving up or doing something more for a while. And I think starting with a big win over a proven wrestler in the company could be a way to do that. You know, Shoko, they'll always have a sort of an emergency. You know, if you put the belt on Hikari and it turns out it's a total flop for whatever reason in ring or no one, you know, drawing or anything, you always have Shoko who you can go back and say, well, she was in the finals and she lost. So here's a rematch or something like that. So. I don't have, as you said, it's interesting that they're running the tournament um, and it will be interesting to see sort of at the end, based on who wins, what the purpose of the, what sort of the end goal of the tournament will be. Yeah. I mean, I mean, we've talked about stardom already a lot, but you know, the stardom idea is basically if you have titles on shows, it will draw. And so I guess it is bad to just have a title that doesn't have a title holder. So, yeah, I mean, it certainly could help with drawing and uh, Shoko makes sense. But I, I mean, I prefer your idea of like using this time to make make somebody new. I mean, that's that's the whole point of this show. The last like month or so has been <laughs> how you got to uh, make new stars, you know. So uh, all that said, it'll it'll end up being uh, 
Kami Yu versus Mirai Mayumi uh, in the finals. So that's probably will be have been totally wrong. I will say about the tournament matches, like I think you're right. What you said earlier about Tokyo Joshi Pro, like the focuses of that promotion versus a promotion like Stardom. But I do think Tokyo Joshi Pro can be for me. It's like refreshing a lot of times to watch. I think I think this is Joshi generally, I think, takes itself less seriously than men's wrestling. And I'm saying that positively. That's why I like Joshi better than men's wrestling. But I think Tokyo Joshi takes itself less seriously even than other Joshi promotions, which I think is good. It's like uh, light in a, in a good way. And so it just I enjoy dipping back in and watching these tournament matches when I've been watching a lot of, you know, the five star and some of those other matches that we've been talking about. Uh, so, yeah, it's just it's been a good tournament so far. Yeah, and I said that mainly the distinction between Tokyo Joshi, not as a dig at Tokyo Joshi, but just, you know, that's sort of the priority of the company. And you are right. And, a, and another great thing about Joshi is that there's a lot of companies that are, you know, it's a diverse landscape of companies. And, you know, there's always talk about, oh, well, Joshi isn't drawing. So the thing that they should do is they should close down some of these companies so then it's under one or two companies because then they'll draw better. But the thing I always enjoy is that, you know, as you go from promotion to promotion, you're going to get different different things from each company. I mean, we talk about stardom is not like Oz Academy, which is not like Ice Ribbon, which, you know, is not like Tokyo Joshi, which is not like Seedling. So it's all of these sort of different options that you have. And I think that's what makes um, Joshi, most exciting for me is that you have the ability with just sort of this group of, you know, just a handful of companies to get really a lot of different styles and types of wrestling. What do we have next? Actress Girls, the 10-5 show um, headlined with the Miyuki Takase versus Sari main event. Yeah, I thought this was very good. You know, Sari came back. Uh, we've talked about how she's a great addition, but she wasn't really, she was just sort of having these nice, you know, fun matches. Then she had the very good match with uh, Yoshiko for the seedling title, which I thought was very good. And I thought that this match as well was very good. You know, it's sort of like Sari rounding back into that wrestler of the year form that she had. Um during all of 2019, I went four stars on this match. I think, as I've said, Takase is really good. And there was a little bit of, you know, you you watch the two of them wrestle. They sort of don't have the same gear, but the sort of color scheme is, you know, similar. And they have similar aspects to them. And I thought they clicked very well and had a, had a good match. Yeah, my thought about this was that it would have eventually become a dream match for me. So I'm glad they already did it. Like in two years when Sari is like, you know, floundering away in Florida, um, I'll be like, man, I wish I could have watched uh, Miyuki Takase versus Sari. And then I'll be like, wait, that happened actually one time. <laughs> You'll remind me as we're recording the show one day that actually this match happened before. So I'm glad it happened. Uh, I think there's like a lot for Takase to learn from working with. Sari, because they do have similar style in some ways. Uh, Takase, I don't know. The the Sari thing is that she just like hits really hard, doesn't seem to care like how hard she hits her opponents. Uh, it doesn't seem to care how hard they hit her either. So, I mean, it's not like she's 
I don't think she's taking liberties or anything. Uh, but sometimes Takase would like pull a forearm or something, and it just ends up looking bad because Sari will still sell it. And so, but you know what Sari can like take. So it uh, kind of doesn't look great, but that's like, that's an interesting thing to me is I feel like that's not going to fly uh, on the, uh, on the coconut loop. Uh, but I've made this, or I've, I've put this opinion out there before. And people have said to me that, well, people said the same thing about Kana and, you know, it worked out for her. I was not watching a ton of Joshi when Kana was still in the scene. So I, I missed a lot of that, but uh, I don't know. What do you think about Sari as a, uh, as an NXT tier? I mean, the difference with Kana is really that she was a big personality as well. I mean, you see from the outfit, you know, that really didn't change too much when she went to WWE. I mean, she had some, you know, obviously she was very good in ring, but she had sort of this strange, you know, personality that was interesting to watch where Sari, the draw is she is a good wrestler. I mean, having followed her now for many years, I don't know that there's anything specifically about her, not that she has a bad personality or anything like that, but there's nothing about her sort of outside of the in-ring stuff that makes you go, whoa, she's a big star. And that is the thing that is always very worrisome when you go to a company like WWE, which tends to turn down the in-ring stuff and turn up the personality. And so when you have the, you know, the big selling point being the in-ring and you turn that down and then you have to somehow find, you know, you have to say, okay, I mean, that's also why, um, you know, Kyrie Hojo did very well because she had a big, per- you know, she was great in ring in stardom, but she also had the big personality. She had the sort of, pirate, you know, it wasn't as emphasized as it is in WWE. She had the sort of pirate um, idea going for her. She has a lot of personality. She showed it in stardom. So that they turned that up and they turned the in-ring down a little, but it worked because she started at a level where there was some sort of, okay, here's what the character is. Here's who this person is. Here's what sort of is the simple, you know, what is the simple description to describe Sari besides a very good wrestler. She like, she'll just hit you really hard. That's it. Like that's what you need to know about Sari. Right. Hits very hard going into a company where that is maybe not frowned upon, but people just don't do that. I mean, especially she'll probably end up in some form of NXT where most of that is making sure that these football players or, you know, weightlifters who come in, aren't going to break your neck. So you can't go in there and be like, okay, here we go. Let's go throw, you know, knock me around with an elbow. Cause you don't want to be, you know, I think a lot of Joshi and a lot of why Joshi is so hard hitting and, you know, it's so intense and things like that is there is a level of trust amongst really everyone. Cause a lot of these companies do work together that, you know, you have these well, respected trainers for different companies. And so you go into a match and you say, okay, I know this person, 
you know, we might go really hard, but this person is going to take care of me at the end of the day. They're going to make sure I'm not actually getting hurt. You know, we might throw a hard forearm, but you know, we're going to make it look good, but it, you know, we'll be fine at the end of the match where you go into some of those NXT matches. And as we've seen from some people who have gone there, they wrestle with these very green, you know, sort of scouting opportunities from, oh, this person was a rugby player in Australia. And they just don't have the same, you know, you go in and you have to say, I have to protect them. And I also sort of have to protect myself because they are not at the level that I am at. And so that, you know, I think the hard hitting thing will disappear very fast. What her character would be or turn into, I have no idea. We also think Kana was like in her 30s, right? By the time she went to WWE. And Kyrie had at least had a long career. You know, Sari's 23 or whatever. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a, a different world. Yeah, it'll be I, – I'm still very interested to see how it all goes down. I mean, we don't know. Let's just say that WWE called her and said, well, you can wrestle, but the minute the borders are open, you're getting over here, which I have a feeling is not the call that happened. But when is that? We don't know. It could be another year before they call her and say, okay, we're ready for you. Yeah. And who knows where anything is at that point where maybe they just say, okay, this is just one person. She's only, she's very young. So maybe let's just let her go. And in a couple years, we'll come back again. We know that she wants to do it. So it isn't an, it isn't an issue of, oh, if we just leave her over there and come back, she'll say, oh, I don't want to do that. Cause it seems to be her end goal. But yeah, I, I mean, I worry for all the wrestlers I like that go over there, but especially someone who's so focused on, I am a good in-ring wrestler, and that's what you come to see. Well, the great news is if she spends five years over there, she'll be 28 when she comes back over there. We live in America, of course. Uh, if she spends five years over there, <laughs> she'll still be in her prime uh, if she if it doesn't work out and she comes back to Japan. So uh, it'll be good for everyone. Uh, marvelous. October 11, dojo show. Yeah, the last two points are just Marvelous had a dojo show. It was very quick. It was about an hour show. They run these dojo shows every once in a while. It's just all the people at the dojo they have. I think they had two matches. Um, And it was a fun show. They had a fun big main event uh, with a bunch of people. And then uh, Pure J actually just had a show. It might have been even more recent than the stardom show that was today. But um, the big news out of that is Raideen Hagane is the new number one contender for the Pure J open weight title. She beat Hanako Nakamori, who was the previous champion in the main event of that show to become the number one contender. All right. Well, those are the shows that have been happening recently. Let's get into some listener questions. First up from, uh, let me just say this, like, it, I mean, we don't do it every episode. We've only done it two episodes now, but just like keep a lookout for uh, our Twitter or if you're in the, the Voices of Wrestling Discord, we'll post it there looking for questions. You know, basically we record on either Saturday or Sunday, every other Saturday or Sunday. So just look out if you have some questions and we'll take them then. Uh, this week we've got a handful. Gerard DeTrulio. I hope I'm saying that right. Gerard uh, asked this. Do you think B Priestley is a sign that we will be getting more stardom and New Japan crossover. 
And are you in favor of it? And if so, how should it be handled? My answer is, I think B Priestley is more a sign that she's dating Will Ospreay. And she happens to be there and they do work with stardom. You know, I don't think we're going to be seeing all of a sudden, you know, uh, Yujiro coming out with Mina Shirakawa or something like that. (laughs) Uh, That's great. um, But I just think it's a thing where they're dating. They're obviously people know they're sort of an item. And it's an opportunity to just get someone in here as they try and kickstart this new Will Ospreay unit. The um, Empire. The Empire, yes. Um, you know, I wouldn't be opposed to more people coming in, but they're going to come in, or at least based on what B's doing, going to come in as valets, and I'm not really sure how many more people in the company really need valets, especially um, they're already wrestlers in stardom, so it isn't like they're sitting around doing nothing. I mean, they're doing a lot of shows, as we talked about stardom doing quite a lot of shows. I'm I'm not opposed to the idea, but I just don't really see much benefit for either company doing any more than this one example. Yeah, I don't want to see like you know, the the classic argument, I do not want to see a New Japan women's division. I don't think there's any value in that. I wouldn't mind seeing like offer matches on New Japan shows that might just get some more interest in stardom. I think, you know, that could be fun. But yeah, this doesn't strike me like there's nobody for B Priestley to wrestle in New Japan. So I don't think this is going to be leading to like an angle where she has matches. Um, I guess for a second, I thought, well, maybe they'll just call this Oedo Tai, you know, <laughs> this uh, uh, unit, but they didn't. So it's not like tied in with Oedo Tai. Uh, I agree with you. It doesn't really say anything to me other than that uh, Will Ospreay probably said, hey, I think it'd be fun if if B was my was kind of valeted for me or, or, you know, was involved with this unit in some way. So, um, yeah, the way I think it should be handled is what I said, offer matches if they're going to do any sort of crossover. Uh, next up, Niagara Driver had this question. Now that we know Jungle Kiona had likely been injured for a while, does that change any opinions on how she's been booked? Seems pretty smart that they used her to get other people over before she hit the sidelines. Micah, Konami as a heel. She also got her dream match with Mayu in her hometown, etc. <laughs> Ta- Taylor people, exhales. <laughs> people were listening, thinking they were going to get out of an episode without me talking about Jungle Kiona again. Here's the thing. <laughs> It isn't as if, you know, prior to six months ago, she was being booked very well, and then all of a sudden she sort of fell off a cliff. Now, if you said to me, if it came out tomorrow, they said, oh, actually, Momo's been injured for the last six months, and she's going to go out. That would sort of make sense to me. She's moved down the card a little bit. She hasn't been in a prominent position as she once was. But, you know, so that would make sense. But Jungle, none of... (laughs) None of this sort of getting other people over is anything new. She's had title matches in her hometown, which she's always lost. And it just now she could have come to them and said, hey, I'm pretty hurt. And they maybe said, oh, great, because, you know, maybe they had an idea that maybe somewhere down the road she would get some sort of victory or there was maybe one thing that was different. 
But I think largely that this is the type of person she is to the company is someone used to get other people over on their way to the top. And, you know, she got injured and that was even more reason to not sort of change that plan. But I don't think anything, I don't think she came to them and said, oh, I'm pretty injured. I'm going to need some time off soon. And they said, okay, great. We'll plan all these things to get all these people over at your expense. You know, I think this was just business as usual. I'm trying to keep myself short because uh, I've talked about this so much that I just think, I think there's a lot of, it makes sense to me that people want, people like Jungle, obviously, and they want her to do well. So there's there's this idea that, oh, if we could just wait until, it's like, oh, if we just wait until tomorrow, it'll all turn around. Like when Jungle announced she got injured, I saw a lot of people talking about, oh man, this is great because when she comes back in a year, she'll be able to face off against Konami and it'll be a big feud. And I don't agree with, I think by the time she comes back, she'll be ice cold as someone who never won. And who knows where Konami is at that point? Konami might've moved on and be in the main event or, you know, she might say, I don't have time for you. You were out for a year. Who cares about you? But I just think there's this eternal optimism about Jungle that has never, that confuses me because it's never been earned by the way the company books her. I would also disagree with the idea that like Konami as a heel is going anywhere. I just highly doubt it. Well, I don't know if she is. I just said in a year, who knows, you know? Yeah. No, I was disagreeing with the idea that like it was getting over Konami as a heel. Like, I just don't think that's going anywhere other than like where Konami has kind of been. I feel like Kyoto and Konami are kind of treated similarly where they're just like never really going to get to that next level. Yeah. And I should say, it might be a good thing that we sort of got the Yokohama show in between recordings of this, because I would have gone on another absolute rant about that unit disbands match, (laughs) which I thought was insanity that it ended with the, it ended with this beloved unit, all the members walking away from ringside as jungle Kiona sits in the ring and sobs. And I was like, this is the, you know, her unit, which is, once Konami left, was made up of mostly, you know, it's like death. And it's like all of these nobody wrestlers. And they don't even, they can't even go in the ring and be like, Jungle, it's okay. We were proud to be in this. They just walked away. They left her in the Yes. It's just every single step to me doesn't read as, oh, we'll get some people over. It reads as, oh, this person is not important in our booking plan. So we can just do whatever and get this over with. Well, we had another Kiona question, so let's go ahead and, and fit it in. Is Jungle Kiona the Tommy Dreamer of stardom? Al Cryptid asks. Well, yeah. Well, here's the thing. I'll, I'll say this as someone who I'm not an expert on ECW and especially what the feeling. I guess my biggest question would be what was the feeling at the moment you know, in the early years when Tommy Dreamer, you know, prior to 2000, when he didn't have a title, what was the feeling? Now he was tag champion, I think, a handful of times. But he was sort of beloved. He was sort of someone who didn't need a title and he made it to the top of the card. It, to me, feels like Jungle is not at the top of the card. 
And there isn't, it doesn't feel like there's an upswell of people being like, this is our person. You know, people say, oh, we really like her. We hope that soon she'll, you know, win a title. But I think it's more tricky for me just because I'm not an expert on the sort of feeling of Tommy Dreamer throughout the history of ECW. But Aaron, I don't know if you're any more, if you have any better insight than I do. Uh, yeah, I do. Um, t- she's definitely the Tommy Dreamer of stardom because she's going to jump the barricade at stardom's big show and shoot Rossi Ogawa. So she definitely is. All right. Next up, uh, we got a couple of questions from our friend Tim Dog, who asks first, do you find it weird that Starlight Kid uses a Tiger Mask style mask when both Mayu and Queen's Quest also use Tiger Mask style mask for their entrances? Um, I don't know if I find it weird. I think it just comes down to Rossi Ogawa really likes Lucha and likes Lucha matches. And so when wrestlers start, he wants to put people in masks. I think, I think that's sort of the, the, the easy sort of behind the scenes answer, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, and you know, I mean, the, the Mayu and the QQ masks are just for their entrances. So I don't think it's a big deal like that. It's not confusing. Uh, well, and that's sort of a that sort of feels at this point like a legacy. It feels less like oh, these specific characters want to wear these masks, and more sort of like a legacy. Like oh, Mayu's had a mask for a long time, and it could be that when they made Starlight Kids mask, that they were like, well, we like Tiger Mask, and so we'll make it, you know like tiger mask, but I think it just comes down to, if you saw that the um, documentary about stardom, they showed Rossi's um, apartment, which had dozens of Lucha masks in it. So I think it's just, he likes Lucha and he wants to put people in these sort of style masks, whether they wrestle in them or they just wear them to the ring. Uh, Tim's next question is Hanan, the next Arista Hoshki. You know, I always hesitate to, predict what will happen with Joshi wrestlers because more, I think more than any other type of wrestling sort of young wrestlers in Joshi are capable of either blowing up and getting very good, very fast or disappearing without warning or notice. Um, Aaron, Aaron, what do you think? I guess I'm just wondering in this question, I guess I would ask a clarifying question of what does the next Arisa Hoshiki, what does that mean? Like stylistically or the path to sort of the top of the company where she was sort of very under for a long time and then popped up suddenly? What do you think? Yeah, we should have. We definitely, that's the problem with these kind of questions is we can't uh, clarify them. Uh, If you mean stylistically, I think that's tough because Arisa was like a legit kickboxer. So she had like her whole arsenal of kicks already hanan is a judoka right so there's going to be a little bit of difference uh between what they are able to do or like you know what their their foundation is but i will say that i mean i've completely come around on the idea that hanan is like good and is going to be very good if as you said she like sticks with it and because uh, she's probably what 16 or so uh something she might be younger than that but in that in that age range, I think. Yeah. So I mean, she certainly could be uh, about to retire. <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah. August 11, two thousand four is her birthday. So 
She's 16. Uh, you know, just turned 16 a couple of months ago. Um, yeah, I think she's starting to show like real promise, but you just never know what's going to happen. Next up, well, we already answered answered this question from, wow, I'm so, I'm really impressed that Rika Tatsumi uh, went into the VOW Discord to ask us a question. Thank you, Rika. Uh, Rika-chan, we really appreciate that. Uh, but that was about the international title tournament, which we have discussed. Next up, Jason Abish. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name right, Jason. But uh, Jason had a couple of questions. One, uh, what should I expect from Ice Ribbon? I'm starting with the Yokohama Bunka show. I don't watch any Joshi besides Stardom. I mean, my answer would be that I think sort of Ice Ribbon is to to draw a parallel. I think they're very similar to a company like DDT where they are a mixture of different styles, but it's sort of the main event is usually fairly straightforward you know, in-ring focused wrestling, but they also down the card, you know, they do feature a good amount of comedy, um, you know, or humor in their matches or the storylines or things like that. So it's sort of that mixture where in the same way where DDT might start out with sort of these more comedic matches before getting on to the, um, you know, serious title matches. It's the same way, um, in Ice Ribbon. I think Ice Ribbon is really, of all the Joshi companies, the best Joshi company that has a multiple styles on one show. You know, we think about Stardom. Sort of the whole card is in-ring focus. You know, you might have like a Death Yamasan or something like that that brings a little bit of comedy but that's sort of, oh, I'm a comedic character and I'm wrestling. And it's still very in-ring focused. You know, we think about Tokyo Joshi, which is all about their characters. Whereas Ice Ribbon really has the serious. They have comedic. They have all different types of wrestlers. You know, now they have this Fantast Ice title, which sort of very well sums up the company where they, it's a sort of pick the gimmick, um, you know, title. Where at the uh, Wayno Park show, they did that baseball match that lasted for like 48 hours or whatever it was. That was very comedic. But as we mentioned, the most recent show had a title defense that was submissions only. So it can be from one show to another, a serious title or a comedic title. And that's sort of the way to me that Ice Ribbon is with their whole sort of their whole show. Okay, and Jason's second question. Not sure if there's an easy answer, but what happened in the world of Joshi that it went from the Tokyo Dome in the 90s to now? Was it one thing or a number of things? Well, it was a number of things, and this you are right that it isn't a super easy answer, but I think sort of the summary, the sort of overlying top-level answer is that obviously in the 80s, um, it was just all Japan. They created a number of megastars that happened to cross over into the greater world of Japanese culture and pop culture and brought in a lot of fans that aren't traditionally um, sort of generally or specifically the people they were bringing in aren't thought of as wrestling fans. They were bringing in a lot of teen um, girls who are really not, you know, New Japan brings in sort of women 
um, or a company like Dragon Gate nowadays brings in women, but these are sort of not teen, sort of adult women. And it was a lot of teen girls who were coming in, seeing these sort of crossover stars who were recording pop songs and things like that. And then also wrestling. Um, you know, one aspect of it is that, you know, all Japan had this rule of forced retirement. That meant that a lot of people who were stars um, were, you know, still sort of drawing well. And it was like, well, here's the forced retirement and you have to go. And they were not, um, you know, probably in a normal company, they would have stuck around and kept drawing. And then, of course, you get to that level. It's a very hard level to sustain, as we've seen with many companies who drew well and haven't drawn as well. And then you sort of get to the late 90s and the early 2000s, um, and you're talking about a couple factors, which are, you know, all Japan had financial uh, troubles. You had sort of the splitting for the first time of the Joshi landscape, where for many years it had been just all Japan, and then you were seeing Gaia Japan pop up and you were seeing JWP and Arceon, all of these sort of different companies that sort of broke the Joshi landscape apart from just having sort of this one um, major company. And then it got to a point where they weren't, you know, as I sort of mentioned, they weren't making the stars that they were in the in the beginning years. And when you're losing stars and you don't have anyone to replace them or anyone that's going to draw in fans, it becomes very difficult um, to sort of keep up that momentum. So I think that those are sort of the main overview factors that led to um, sort of Joshi taking the downturn. And then in 2005, All Japan closed, or 2006, 2005, 2006, you know, Gaia Japan closed and it really took new companies popping up to get back to the level, you know, Sendai Girls and Ice Ribbon in 2006. And then you had Stardom a few years later, sort of rebuilding the foundation, creating new stars, building new stars of Joshi. Look at that. Come to this show for everything, folks. Uh, last question. Uh, Joe Gagne, who I like on Twitter, uh, asks, should I sign up for Stardom World? Well, I would say, uh, look, I'll say yes. I, I'll lay this out very, um, I'll do a pro and con here of Stardom World. The pro is it's very easy to sign up. The It's very easy to navigate and use. The show's are the video quality is high quality. They're easy to find. They're easy to play. I don't really ever have streaming issues or buffering issues of any sort. I would say that the shows largely are very good. It's the most talked about Joshi promotion around. And they often have the most talked about match. The best and most talked about matches of the year by the end of the year are often start of matches. Now the drawbacks are the way that they upload the shows often to me feels like by the time the show is up, the world has moved on a little bit. So it isn't a thing where the show happens and that night you can watch it and talk about it. I think that's probably the biggest drawback for me. 
But if you're someone who isn't familiar with Stardom, or you know you like other Joshi, um, but haven't checked out Stardom, I would say it's a worthwhile to, you know, even if you want to sign up for one month, you know, it's not super expensive to sign up, sort of see what you like and uh, go from there. But what what do you think, Aaron? Do you mainly agree with that idea? I mean, I've had, I've been subscribed to Stardom World for a long ass time. I never stop it or whatever. Uh, if you don't watch it regularly, I would say like right now is not the best time to start because the tag league is what's primarily happening. So I'd probably, uh, I don't know, maybe get started with that, with that Sendai show, November 15, the, the Mayu um, Utami match. I assume Utami's going to win. So that's going to be like a big fork in the road for stardom. Uh, but otherwise, you know, you might want to wait for the big year end climax show in December. It's like the big show of the year. Um, but if you want to catch up on the rest of the year, by the way, a little plug for something for which I make uh, zero money, but uh, I have a, you know, a match guide as the pin tweet on my Twitter account. So if you want to sign up this month and spend it going back and catching up on the rest of the year uh, and getting ready for that uh, November 15 show or the year end climax show, you can certainly do that, but I would not jump in and be like, Oh hell yeah, I'm going to get into stardom by watching the tag league. Uh, probably not going to be the best entry point. All right, let's talk about some shows that are coming up. Stardom, uh, a bunch of tag league shows. 1029, they'll be back at Coroquin uh, with Julia versus Himika for the white belt. And then Wing Gori versus Dream H will be the tag league match happening on that show. Yeah, it will be interesting to see. We talked a lot about last episode about what they sort of draw on the second Corican. You know, last month, the first one drew 677, and then nine days later, they ran and it drew 407. Um, This Corican that happened today drew 586. So already starting lower than that 677. They're doing another Corican 11 days later. Will be interesting to see. See what they draw there. If they will, if maybe, you know, maybe something like 400 is their bottom, you know, that's sort of the bottom level of what they can draw there, or maybe it goes lower. Maybe they draw three something, Um, but we'll have to see. But yeah, just sort of in the, uh, in the mire of the stardom tag league. They already changed the setup of Corquin Hall, like the smaller setup. Uh, so, yeah, it's just it's not going well. The the two cork ones a month thing is not going well so far, I would say, uh, certain, like in the middle of COVID. You know? Yeah, I think that they're probably making money and happy. But I think there is an idea that if you want to make this promotion feel like a big deal promotion, you can't be running a huge venue. And look, I understand that there's, you know, COVID restrictions, so you couldn't fill the venue anyway. But running a, a you know, 1,500-seat venue with 380 people in it is not a great look, especially when other promotions that don't have the backing that you do, don't have the resources that you do, are going in that building and drawing the same number as you are. It, it just... You know, it can make sense financially, but also not be a great look for a company that's trying to be a big league company. 
And it's trying to bring in new fans, right? I mean, you're trying to appeal to like the Bushy Road fan. And, you know, when they tune in and it's like, oh, wait, nobody cares about this. <laughs> it makes it hard uh, to get invested. All right. Seedling, they got a show coming up on October 20th. Sukushi versus Kaho Kobayashi for the high speed title. And then uh, Sari and Yoshiko versus Ajakong and Honori Hana um, in a tag match. Yeah, and that tag match is a little uh, preview of there will be a Yoshiko Aja Kong um, seedling title match at the beginning of November. So this is sort of the preview uh, match. And as I mentioned, Aja Kong beating Hanori Hana at that 10-3 show. So now they are teaming uh, together. Tokyo Joshi Pro, uh, this again will not have happened by the next show, but on November 7, they'll have their big Wrestle Princess show at Tokyo Dome City Hall, right? So um, that'll have the big title match with, I can't think of the people. Uh, no, Magical Sugar Rabbits Explode, right? Correct. Uh, that, that's the title match. And then uh, I guess probably the finals of the International well, Princess? Well, no, they're doing the semi. So they're doing those two matches that we talked about earlier on that show. Okay. Okay. Well, that works too. So but we will we'll preview that whole show on the next episode because that will be the following week, and then the episode after that we will do we'll probably do a deep dive review into that whole show. Sendai Girls has a couple of shows coming up ten twenty four, and then on ten twenty seven uh, they've got Meiko Satomura and Meiho Shizuki versus Hiroya Matsumoto and Ayami Sasamura. Yeah, fun match. It's actually not the main event, but I was looking through. Um, and that sort of stuck out to me, Meiho Shizuki winning the Sendai Girls Rookie Tournament and glad to see her getting some um, more bookings outside of Marvelous um, in, a, in, a, in a fun-looking match here with four competitors that I really like. All right, Ice Ribbon has on 10-24 the Risa Seda Extreme Nuclear Battle. Eight-way elimination match, mobile destruction match. Main event, 60-minute hardcore Iron Woman match. Risa Sarah versus X. Yeah, it looks like it's going to be a fun show. I think there's only going to be the three matches because the main event will be going 60 minutes because, of course, it's an Iron Woman match. But a fun, uh, just sort of the thing I was describing. Now, this is sort of a side um, thing. But, you know, this is a sort of more of a, you know, they have the mobile destruction match, which is the loser will have their cell phone destroyed. <laughs> um, immediately after the match. So this is sort of the comedic side of um, Ice Ribbon. And then they have a show um, a week later on October 31st, which is uh, at Corican, a more serious show, main evented by a tag title match, Karumi Hiragi and Mochi Miyagi versus Rina Yamashita and Micah Ozaki. That match also has best friends, Arisa Nakajima and Tsukasa Fujimoto versus Sakushi and Sayori Ano. That should be a really fun match. Sayori, one of the new additions uh, to Ice Ribbon. So that should be a uh, two really fun shows worth checking out. We will um, hopefully be able to cover that 1031 Corkin show on our next recording. Okay, next up on our list here is Be A Hero Girls. Yeah, so Be A Hero Girls is a new promotion. Uh, they've been announcing a lot of talent uh, for it, Ice Ribbon talent, 
I know Sukasha Fujimoto is doing it. Um, Madeline and Haruka Umasaki from Diana are doing it. Uh, Kaori Yonayama will be there. I think they're going to have seven matches. I don't know that they've announced officially the card yet. Um, that will be happening on October 24th, airing live on Nico. Um, if you want to learn more, uh, they have a Twitter, be a hero girl, at be a hero girls. Uh, so that's going to be a Yokohama um, focused promotion. And that first show is going to be, I think, at Yokohama Radiant Hall. So it should be a fun show with a with a fun combination of some different um, talent from a couple of of companies around the world of Joshi. Actress Girls has several shows coming up soon. Uh, October 18 is going to have the Takase versus Sekiguchi title match, uh, a big battle royal on the 22nd, and some other shows with nothing announced thus far. Yeah, on that, uh, I'm hoping that October 18 show shows up somewhere soon, maybe on the Actress Girl streaming service or maybe on Nico. And then Yuna Mizumori uh, from uh, Chaco Pro and Andres Miyagi will be appearing on that 1022 show. So some interesting talent there. Marvelous has a Shinkiba show on the 26th, a Halloween themed show. Yeah, Halloween themed. They haven't announced any. Um, matches yet, but they have a poster out that's all about Halloween. So it should be probably one of Marvelous's more uh, silly or goofy shows, but I'm sure it will be a lot of fun. When's the Stardom Costume Battle Royal coming? It's one of my oh, favorite great. parts of the year. Great question. That's that's um, maybe it will be on that 1029 show. I hope so. If you're not familiar, the idea is. Everybody is dressed as a different roster member. So, you know, you get uh, Mayu as uh, Gokigen Death, maybe. (laughs) That's definitely what's happening, isn't it? Actually, now that I think about it. Yeah, you called it. I did. Uh, Wave 1024, the Dual Shockwave Tag Tournament. I love the names of all the tournaments and shows. Make me very happy. Yeah, so this is an interesting tournament. What it will be is it's three three-way tag matches. Um, and the way it will work is that the winner of the match will move on to the finals, but the team that gets the second pinfall or submission will go to the next match. So they will essentially have another opportunity to get into the finals and the team that doesn't get a pinfall will be out. So the first match, which is happening on this 1024 show is uh Boston Mammy, who's current way tag champions of Mio Momono and Yumioka uh, versus Seri and Hibiki from uh, Marvelous versus Sakura Hirota and Ayako Sato from Diana. Then the next match will be uh, Nagisa Nozaki and Saki versus Rina Shingaki and Ayame Sasamura versus whatever the team is that comes in second in the first match. And then the third match will be Yuki Miyazaki and Takumi Aroha for Marvelous uh, versus the luminous team of Takase Miyuki and Haruki Umasaki versus whoever comes in second place in the second match. Um, so a, a fun tournament. I've never seen it uh, done in this format. 
And then the three winners of each match will uh, face off. The winner will get a tag title shot. Or if Boston Mammy wins, who's the current tag champions, they will get to name their own um, challenger if they win. Wave also has a show on October 26th, which is going to have Nagisa Nosaki against Shuri, which should be a good match. And they have a show on November 1st, their usual first of the month show, but they haven't announced anything for that yet. And Choco Pro finally continuing on with season four. They have four shows in the next two weeks, um, October 21st, October 25th, October 28th, and November 1st. All right. Well, I think that's everything we had to talk about today. Yes? I think we covered it all. All right. Follow us on Twitter at JBombAudio. Now that Taylor's doing better, I'll try to do better. Uh, you can also find me at Aaron Like the Car, Taylor at Tay Mambo. Subscribe to the show, please. Give us a five-star rating and a review on the Apple Podcast app. Tell a friend if they like Joshi to check us out. And if you're feeling generous, you can donate to the show at redcircle.com slash shows slash jumping dash bomb dash audio. So uh, that's it. We'll see you in two weeks. Bye-bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.